Uh, this morning's reading is Matthew 4, 12 to 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise, Praise to Christ, Christ the Lord. Oh, what a great song to sing. It's very good to be with you again, uh, as always, on these Sunday mornings. I, I know that a number of the churches uh, kind of pre-record things earlier on in the week, and I was thinking that one of the things I'd miss if I was about to preach now as I am, if I was pre-recording it earlier, is I've been really encouraged and challenged by some of the words James has said as he's been leading our service. I love the children's slot and... Um, uh, seeing some of the ways people answered who, who you would lead. And I know the pressure you were under when you were only told the, the, the name right at the moment. Uh, and I love that last um, interview slot that Aaron did, hearing some of the ideas that people have got. So it, it means that when you come to preach, you're rejoicing in some of the things that we've heard and uh, been reminded of. So it's great. Uh, let me say two things before I pray and then get into the uh, reading that Kerry just brought to us a few moments ago. One is I wanted to say thank you. I gave a notice last week about finances and I asked whether people would be able to um, uh, fill in a, a form. We've had over 90 responses uh, to that um, so quickly, so helpful for us as a church trying to work out what to do. Um, so thank you for, for taking the effort to do that and, and get it done. And even the news itself has been really encouraging to us and reinforced that we're not going to look to take the subsidy that um, uh, we're still in a really healthy spot. But thank you to everyone who filled that out. It was a real help to us. Uh, and secondly, James mentioned at the beginning, but um, 
Jacob Preston ran a quiz night last night. I know not everyone could take part in it, but for those who could, it was a great night. And I wanted to thank Jacob and David and Lindley and any of the other Prestons who were working behind the scenes. It was a really good occasion. And I thought full marks to them. Uh, they were marking us, uh, but full marks to them for a, a great night. And I wanted to mention the Tillmans, Mark and Janet Tillman dancing to one of the songs was a particular highlight for me too. So thank you, Mark and Janet. Well, let me pray and uh, we'll get into this great passage. Heavenly Father, it's a lovely morning here in Christchurch. We thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity now to stop and think on your son, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we pray, Father, that as we think about him and as we think in particular about some of the things he said in this passage, that they might inspire us, instruct us, that they might encourage us and challenge us. Please use the words that, that were on the lips of your son and by the work of your spirit in our hearts and minds, change our lives as a result. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, during the week, I read through seven different lists of the most influential human beings who've ever lived. I didn't mean to read seven, I just meant to read one. But you know those kind of internet rabbit holes you get down where you read one and then it links to another and then another? I read seven. Uh, I was amazed by a few things about those lists, uh, but one of them was I was surprised at how different they are, how the lists were very different to one another, which I guess is no big surprise when you think about it. If you're ranking every single person who's, well, you're not ranking every single person, but when you're doing a ranking of every single person who's ever lived on this planet and there's no real metric as to how you measure influence, then that's a pretty broad group, right? And there's been a lot of great men and great women who've lived, who've done amazing things. So there's a degree of subjectivity to all those lists, a degree, although it's not boundless. I actually read eight lists, but I rejected one because one of them had at number five of the most influential people who've ever lived on planet Earth. They had Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That list, I couldn't count it. I mean, it's just gone. So I wouldn't list Arnold Schwarzenegger in the top 100 people living in California now, never mind number five. Anyway, I, I'll probably come back to that later in the sermon. It so got to me that anyone could think of doing that. Anyway, they, they were very distinct lists. Out of the seven, there was only one person who made the top five on all, which was Jesus. I think Leonardo da Vinci came in second. He, he was ranked on five of them out of seven, which was pretty impressive. Uh, Jesus ranked, the lowest he ranked was number three out of all seven lists. And although I don't really trust any list that doesn't have Jesus as number one, because I think it's absolutely incontrovertible that Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived on this planet. And anyone who argues um, different, I think, has got an agenda or blinds themselves to true facts. I, I still enjoyed reading the list because I find it fascinating how people reason and justify their different choices for selections. Now, as far as I know, none of the lists were compiled by Christians where, who might be a bit biased. But all of them had Jesus in the top three. And that's for one simple reason. It's the effect that Jesus has had on the history of this planet. It's been so profound that any list is incomplete without him on it. In fact, I would say it's wrong if it doesn't have him as number one, but it's certainly incomplete without him there. Jesus is someone you need to consider. If you're joining us this morning and you wouldn't normally be uh, meeting with us at Shirley Intermediate under normal circumstances, perhaps you've just stumbled upon us or a friend's invited you along. We're really glad to have you. But I want to say to you, Jesus is someone you need to consider. You need to think about, if only due to his influence on this world. He has had such an effect on individuals 
and groups and communities and countries and cultures. He's had influence on people of all races and over all periods of history. So you'd be foolish not to stop and think about him. Why has he had so much influence? What did he have to say? What did he do? Which is why I think this series in Matthew is so important and is so good because we're looking at Jesus. We're seeing what he did in life. We're hearing what he said in life. Imagine the chance to sit down with the master. What would you pay for two hours with Tiger, Walt, Tiger Woods to teach you golf? Or what would you give up to spend a morning with Meryl Streep talking to you about acting? Or Winston Churchill on leadership? Or Michael Jordan on basketball? To sit with the masters, we're getting to sit with Jesus, the most influential person in the history of the world. That's what we're doing when we're in Matthew's gospel. And we're hearing him teach on God, on life, on you and I. We're seeing what he did, hearing what he said. So it's really good stuff that we're doing. <clears throat> now, there's a number of things that we could focus on in our reading this morning. There was a lot that went on. In the first few verses, we see Jesus again fulfilling the Old Testament. And that's one of the major themes at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. This idea that Jesus is the one that the whole Old Testament has been expecting and looking forward to and pointing to. But we'll see that carry on as we go through Matthew and we'll pick up that thread another time. Uh, in the last few verses, we see Jesus's supernatural power as he miraculously heals people and casts out demons. And today, some people want to diminish that and say, well, of course, we know he wasn't doing it miraculously. He just had a profound effect on them. But no, no, no. He's supernaturally, miraculously healing people and casting out demons. It's That's the power that he had. But again, we'll see that as we go through Matthew's gospel and we'll pick up on it another time. Today, what I want to focus on is two things that Jesus said in these verses. Two things that are so important, you've got to focus on them when he says them. The first of those we find in uh, what is really, in effect, the first recorded sermon of Jesus. In verse 17, if you've got your Bible there, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And then we're told what he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the first sermon of Jesus. Now, those of, you who've, uh, those of you who've been with us for the last few weeks may have a bit of de deja vu at this point, because these are exactly the same words we heard John the Baptist preach a couple of weeks ago in chapter three. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, that should buck us up to the importance of these words. Jesus said about John the Baptist that, no, there hasn't been a person who's more important, more significant born than John the Baptist. And this was his first sermon and this was his message. We know that Jesus is God's son. This is his first sermon. This is his message. So we need to think about that. So I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about repentance. And although I'm not going to repeat myself, it's too important to ignore. God thought it was important enough to put in chapter three and chapter four. We probably need to think about why. Now, remember what I said about what repentance is. Repentance is changing behavior. We all live our lives, usually according to our own standards. We live what I want to do according to my morals, my standards, my principles, my decisions, all that kind of thing. And sometimes I'm, we will be living in, in line with what God wants, but other times we won't. And repentance is when we recognize that we're living our way, not God's way, and we change it and we start living his way. That's repentance. So think about this. That was John the Baptist's first sermon. It's now Jesus's first sermon. And you might think, well, maybe because Matthew's recording this gospel, maybe Matthew had a thing about repentance. But no, it's not just Matthew putting an emphasis on this. If we turn to Mark's gospel, 
By the time we get to Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples on a mission. And in Mark chapter 6, it says that on their mission, they went out and preached that people should repent. But it's not just Mark's gospel. In Luke, at the end of Luke's gospel, after Jesus has died and risen again, and right at the end of the gospel, as he's about to send out his disciples into the world because he's going to leave to be with the Father, it says these final words. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, the message that the disciples of Jesus for the rest of history are to preach are repentance and forgiveness of sins. Then we can move to the book of Acts and we see that actually happening. This is what we're told, the theory of what needs to happen. We then see it happening in practice in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of um, Pentecost, the day the church is born, Peter preaches a very famous sermon where 3,000 people uh, believe. His, his sermon is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He's doing exactly that, repentance, forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, the great apostle of Jesus, summarizes the gospel that he preached around the world. He says this in Acts chapter 20, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about that for a moment. The first sermon John the Baptist preached and his central message. The first sermon the Lord Jesus preached and his central message. The message the disciples were told to take around the world. The, the, the message that Peter and Paul, the great apostles, preached as they, they shared the, the news of Jesus, all had repentance as a central, crucial aspect to it. I wonder if the Christian message still has repentance as a central, crucial aspect in the way that we preach it and proclaim it. Ourselves as individuals, churches, different denominations. I worry that it doesn't. I worry that sometimes Christians or churches play up the benefits of following Jesus, kind of um, uh, believe in God, you'll be blessed. Um, and you'll have purpose in your life and meaning in what you do. And, but we don't play up the need to repent, to live his way. John the Baptist did. Jesus did. The disciples did. And so although we only looked at it a couple of weeks ago, let me take this opportunity again to ask you, are there some areas of your life that you need to repent of now? Do you need to repent? And be brave enough to admit that you need to. Own your failures and mistakes and repent. The world today, I think, tries to tell people they don't need to own it. You can shift the blame or minimise things or give people excuses. God asks us to own it and then change. The world says... It's not your fault. It was your upbringing. John the Baptist says, repent. The world says, it's not your fault. It's, it's just the way you're wired. Uh, the disciples say, repent. The world says, it's not your fault. It's, it's due to the injustice of the system you're a part of. Jesus says, repent. At this odd lockdown time, where we have unexpectedly had a chance to pause from the normal business of life and reevaluate things. We, we weren't expecting this, were we? We didn't know it was going to happen, but it's given us a chance to stop our normal, the busyness of life and things, and to reevaluate. Will you join with me in thinking about whether there's areas in life we need to repent of? Own it. 
receive forgiveness for it, and then repent, do it. So that's the first thing in our verses I want us to focus on, his message of repentance in his first sermon. The second one is uh, is found when he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's a big lake, but it's a lake. He's walking along and he sees two brothers, Simon, or Peter as we, we commonly know him, and Andrew. Uh, they are casting a net into the water because they're fishermen. And he says to them these three very important words, come follow me. Funnily enough, Matthew tells us that Peter and Andrew did just that. They follow him. Then the pattern is repeated. Jesus sees two brothers, James and John, in a boat with their, with their father preparing nets. And Jesus calls them and they follow too. And it's the call to follow Jesus that I want us to think about and reflect on. Because this is the most important thing to do in life. Above and beyond anything else, this is the most important thing to do. Notice following Jesus came at a cost. Another thing we sometimes do in Christianity is tell people the benefits of following Jesus, not always the cost. We, we see it here too. There are benefits. We want to play out the benefits. But there's enormous cost. And it's made clear here that for both sets of brothers, there was a cost in following Jesus. For Peter and Andrew, we're told in verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, that small phrase, follow, uh, leaving their nets, might not mean much to you and I, but for them, that was their livelihood. That was how they supported themselves and their family. There was no guarantee that when they came back, those nets would be there. But they up and left it to follow Jesus. It was that important. Uh, for in verse 22, we see what happened with James and John. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, these are significant things. Matthew didn't have to write down what they left behind. He could have just said, and they followed him. He certainly didn't have to write down twice what they left behind, but he does. And I take it he's wanting to make clear here there was a cost in following Jesus. <coughs> following Jesus is not just like going to the movies or joining a badminton club. Remember when you used to be able to go to the movies? Remember when you used to be able to be part of a badminton club? But it's, it's not like those things. Those are things that we do. Those are things that are a part of our lives. But for anyone who follows Jesus, that's not just a part of your life. That is your life. Following Jesus is not just part of the Christian's life. It is the Christian's life. And then every other part of life, every other aspect of life is affected or should be affected by following Jesus. You don't just have Jesus as a relationship in your life. You follow Jesus and then all your relationships are influenced and affected by your relationship with Jesus. And you will have certain relationships with some people and you won't have certain relationships with some people because of your following Jesus. And it will impact the, the way you engage in those relationships, things you do and things you don't do, ways you speak and ways you won't speak. But it's following Jesus that will affect every other relationship. It will affect your work. There are some jobs that Christians don't do. Following Jesus affects work. There are certain ways we, we do work with integrity, with honesty, looking out for others, making sure that we're not cheating or, or th those sorts of things. It affects everything. It will affect our leisure, what we do, how much time we use on this or waste on that, decisions we make, possessions we have, everything we do, all of who we are will be affected if we're following Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just that you're a follower of Jesus on Sunday at 10.30 for an hour and a quarter 
or one evening a week as you take part in a Bible study. For a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, there's no area of life, no field of existence where being a follower of Jesus doesn't affect our words, our actions, our thoughts, our motivations, our priorities, our life. When we're at work, we're a follower of Jesus. When we deal with people, when we play sport, when we talk with the mums and dads at preschool, when we teach our children, when we're shopping, we do all these things as a follower of Jesus, and that impacts how we do them. Everything I do, I do as someone who knows that I've been bought and rescued by the death of Jesus. I do it as someone who knows that this place is not my ultimate home, the new creation, the new heaven and earth is. I do it as someone who desires that others know Jesus as saviour and king. That affects everything, every area of life. The way I speak in every conversation, the way I act in different contexts, the way I am as a man or a woman, a friend, a wife, a son, the things I choose to do or not do in every sphere of life will be influenced because I'm a follower of Jesus. You can think of it in lots of different ways. Think of it in terms of the rooms of your house. You're a follower of Jesus in the lounge. Whenever you're in there, whatever you're doing. You're a follower of Jesus in the bedroom. Whenever you're in there, whatever you're doing. You're a follower of Jesus in the study. Whenever you're in there, whatever you're doing. You're, in, you're a follower of Jesus when you're behind the wheel. That can be a hard one. You, you're a follower of Jesus when you're behind a screen. You're a follower of Jesus when you're playing games or doing your work or taking part in sport. There's an old cliche in sport that what happens on the field stays on the field. As if you can do anything on there and it shouldn't have effect outside. Not for a Christian. When you're on the field, you're, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That affects the way you behave and what you do then. Jesus called the four men to follow him. And what did they do? They immediately left behind their jobs, their livelihood. And for James and John, left behind their father. And I don't think it's that you've got to leave behind your job and your those relationships. It's that come, following Jesus comes first. And there may be consequential things that happen as a result of it. Our relationship to Jesus comes before every other relationship. It informs all our other relationships. Before our, your relationship to your husband or wife, your children, your parents, your friends, your government. And following Christ comes before all activities of our life. It's a higher priority than our jobs. If your, your job's getting in the way of following Jesus, your job goes. You're, it's more important than the money we earn or the possessions we have. It should affect how we see them and use them. Do you see how following Jesus is, 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 is so important in this passage? Peter and Andrew, James and John had to leave things behind to follow him. It's tempting to think, well, that, that's because that was simpler times, Jay, that they just left behind some nets. And um, but, but for me, I've got responsibilities. For me, I've got certain roles and people have expectations of me. It's not a simpler time. It's exactly the same. The reason this principle is the same is because Jesus is so important and he's worth it. Jesus is first. Following him is first and it should influence everything else that you and I do. Him first and the rest of our lives around that. Not me first and my roles and responsibilities and how people see me and then I'll fit Jesus in around the rest. I said at the beginning that I'd read those lists about the most influential people in, the, uh, in history. And I said, it's clear that Jesus is someone worth thinking about. He's someone worth considering about because he's had such an influence on this world. But you see, it's not enough to just think about. It. It's not enough to just consider him. You've got to follow him. You've got to follow him. 
and not just follow him. I think when we when we say follow him today, often people's minds go to social media where we follow certain people, but it's pretty passive. There's a passing interest. We get notifications when they've had a new meal and taken a photo of it or something. That's not what following means with Jesus. Following him is the number one thing in life. In the end, this is why Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world, because people have devoted their lives to following him since he lived because he's worth it, because he's worth it. If I ask some of you today, leave your stuff behind and follow me. Who's with me? Put your hands up. I can't see any hands. I can't even, even in my family, there was a belated raising of hands to make me feel better on the right. No one's going to follow me and neither should they because I'm not worth it. Why did these two sets of brothers follow Jesus from that point on in their life. Their life changed radically that day. Following Jesus became the number one thing in their life. Most of these brothers died for their following of Jesus. Why did they do it? Now, some people think it's because, well, they were just, they were simple. They're a bit gullible. They were fishermen. They didn't know any better. They were, they were a little bit dim. No, no, no. They knew that it was God, the son speaking to them that day. They knew that he was worth it. And they did it. You know how you can tell these four guys weren't just simple, gullible people who were a bit dim and didn't know any better and that kind of thing? It's that these four guys, alongside the other disciples, they were the ones who, after Jesus died, after he rose, and then after he went back to be with his father, these were the, the 12 men, if you take out Judas and bring in Matthias, these were the 12 who went out into the world and changed the course of human history. They changed human history as we know it. They were not just dim, gullible people. They were people of conviction, of power and persuasion. They were armed by the Holy Spirit, but that's what they were. They were convinced that they had seen God the Son speak to them and act in front of them. They were convinced they had seen death conquered. They were convinced that this man had the words of eternal life and no one else did, and that's why they dedicated their lives to him. They followed him. Following Jesus is costly. But there's nothing more important. So two things this morning. Repent and follow Jesus. And I pray that during this lockdown period, this, as I said before, this unexpected time that we weren't, we didn't know was going to come to us. We weren't planning on it. But it's given us a chance to reevaluate our lives and where we are and what we're doing, where we're going and what our priorities are. I pray that in the midst of all that reevaluation that I hope you're, you're taking the opportunity to do, that these two things would be at the uppermost. Repent and follow Jesus, because there's nothing more important. And friends, if we're following Jesus, we will be blessed, because he is uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, let me pray uh, for us as we do that, and then I'm going to pass over to Logan, who's going to lead us in our intercessory prayer. Let me just say a short prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning to remember the Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would help us use this odd period of our lives when the whole world is going through the kind of the same thing, to think about ourselves and life, to think about you and going forward. And I pray that in the end, what we will do is we will live lives of repentance and following Jesus, our Saviour and King. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Over to you, Logan.